thank you so much for joining me on the Success Story Podcast, where we speak with incredible leaders and mentors and unpack their story. Uh, very excited today to be sitting down with Anthony Scaramucci. Now, uh, if you have been living under a rock, uh, Anthony Scaramucci has a numerous amount of accolades behind him. Uh, he's uh, the founder and co-managing partner of Skybridge Capital. Uh, he's the author of four books. Um, he has uh, several incredible rankings, including uh, the number, number 85 on Worth Magazine, most uh, powerful people in the world of global finance. In 2011, he received Ernst & Young's Entrepreneur of the Year Award. Um, and obviously, uh, he's uh, somewhat uh, famous for being the and serving as the White House Communications Director for a period in July of 2017. Um, so, Anthony, uh, thank you so much for, for joining me. Um, you know, I really appreciate it. And uh, I just want to, you know, get, get a little bit of, of where you've come from and, and what sort of led you to, you know, the, the resume you have today. Well, first of all, thanks for inviting me on, and uh, you're being very kind. You could have mentioned that I got fired from the White House after 11 days, although I'm assuming a lot of people would have already known that. But you know, the good news is, uh, three years later, in hindsight, it looks like it was uh, it was actually helpful to my career as opposed to <laughs> as damaging as I thought it was going to be at that moment. But um, so my my origin story, I guess, is uh, fairly typical of people that grew up in a blue collar family on Long Island. I think I, I got lucky in the sense that uh, I went to a very good public high school, had high grades there, high test scores, ended, going, ended up going to Tufts University, which was a little struggle for my family because my dad was a, an hourly worker and we figured it out through uh, a couple of jobs during the summer and obviously uh, you know student debt and, and different things like that. But uh, I did well at Tufts, uh, ended up going to Harvard Law School after Tufts, and then my career started at Goldman Sachs, where I spent seven years in private banking. I left Goldman Sachs at age 32, uh, which is, uh, you know, when, when you're talking about people's success arcs, um, there's a great line about entrepreneurs from Fred Smith, the uh, founder of FedEx. He said, if I knew how goddamn hard it was, I never would have done it. And so, <laughs> but entrepreneurs do that sort of stuff. And so I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, always wanted to have my own business. So I left Goldman, was making reasonably good to great money there. Uh, and I started my business uh, with a, a, a gentleman by the name of Andy Bozart in December of 1996. And we got quite lucky. You know, the markets were in a roaring bull market. We frankly made a lot of mistakes, but... Uh, there's an expression on Wall Street, don't confuse brains with a bull market. And so the market sort of carried us up. We did very, very well. We got a uh, hiccup and a shock in 1998 with the long-term capital management crisis, powered through that. Um, you know, the current pandemic, you know, I'm, I'm into my ninth crisis on Wall Street. So I've seen this movie. It comes out in varying forms uh, over the years, but we had a crisis in 98. We ended up selling our business about Four weeks after 9-11, in 2001, we sold to a firm called Newberger Berman. Uh, Newberger then got bought by Lehman Brothers. I worked there for a few years. And then in March of 2005, I set up Skybridge Capital, uh, where I have been less the 11 days in the White House. Uh, this has been my sort of prima facie responsibility. We've got $10.5 billion under management. We're basically uh, an integrated uh, fund of funds platform for high net worth individuals. 
um, and we also have a pension advisory business. So that is, in a nutshell, my career. I've done some fun things as well. You know, I, I launched the Skybridge Salt Conference in 2009, coming out of the last crisis. I thought that was a great idea to re start to reconnect people. Uh, so that's been a 10-year-old conference. Unfortunately, we couldn't have it this year. I had to cancel it because of the Bellagio Hotel, where we typically have it, is closed. And so, unfortunately, we couldn't get the uh, conference done this year. But but that's also been a lot of fun. And then I did something really neat for your Wall Street aficionados that listened to you. I bought the rights to Louis Rukeyser's Wall Street Week from Maryland Public Broadcasting. And uh, I put that on the air. Uh, nobody wanted it. And so I did it as an infomercial. And then I sold advertising. I bought I bought 30 minutes of advertising on a Sunday morning from Fox Channel 5 in New York. And then I subsold advertising to my friends and colleagues in financial services. And then, you know, the Fox Business Channel picked that up. And when I went to go work for uh, Mr. Trump as one of his executives in the transition committee, I sold that to the Fox uh, Business Channel. So so it's been a fun it's been a fun career. I, I, I got into politics very accidentally. I would say that uh, when I came out of law school, I didn't really have a big network, didn't know a lot of people um, that weren't wearing what I would call greenies. You know, that was my father's yeah. uh, uh, outfit when he went to go work. And so, you know, I didn't have any I didn't have a white collar experience. So I got myself involved in politics, wrote my first check to a politician in 1989 to Rudolph Giuliani. How about that? He unsuccessfully ran for mayor in 1989, but I was out there as a young Republican raising him money, and it helped open up a lot of doors for me. I love I love the story, and what I love about your story is is the diversity, and I think that um, a testament to why you have been successful, and not like really not just blowing smoke is is seriously because you just go after things. Like, you know, I didn't bring up the 11 days in White House. I think most people um, are aware of that. But I wanted to let you tell your story because I think that even just jumping into that is very admirable because there's not a lot of people that would feel comfortable just stepping into a position like that, coming from really not a lot of political background. So what, like, what makes you jump into something? How do you evaluate opportunities? What sort of pushes you in, in new directions that you've obviously done repeatedly over the course of your career? Well, well well, I would say specifically to the White House job, that was a little bit too much idealism, and uh, I didn't really understand the world of politics. I would say that, unfortunately, you know, my parents are great people. They're still alive, thank God, but they were not well-educated, and we didn't have a very good understanding about how the real corporate world or the real political world works. And for your listeners, you can't read that in a book. You can't read a history book and say, okay, now I have a good sense for how Washington works. Or you can't read about Goldman's Sachs and say, okay, now I know how that works. And so for me, a lot of the stuff that's happened to me in my life has been a series of trial and error. Um, I went to Goldman Sachs. My first job interview, I was in like 100% polyester. I bought the suit from Cy Sims. I think my shirt was 100% poly. I mean, I was fully flammable at my first job interview. And so the guy basically was very nice. He's like, look, you're a smart kid, but you're the worst dressed person that we met at the Harvard Law School. And so I had to make that adaptation and I had to go buy a real suit before I went down for my callback interview. I would say in the world of politics, I was reasonably good as a fundraiser, but I was absolutely terrible as a political operative because I didn't I didn't really understand the 
lack of morals, the lack of scruples, the ridiculous backstabbing. I mean, I did watch the House of Cards, but I didn't realize that they had the House of Cards screenwriters get together with the Hunger Games screenwriters. That wasn't enough. So they added a little bit of Veep and then they threw in the Game of Thrones, you know, and, and, and all of a sudden they shook all that up and you got all this nasty, crazy nonsense. So I was ill prepared for that. And so I would tell people, you know, if you're a uh, political fundraiser, you're probably not the best suited to work inside the White House. You're probably going to need to have some Washington-like establishment experience or be the fr- the president's son-in-law, something like that, because it's not yeah. just not the right fit. But, but you know, to your point, I've thrown myself into things I really didn't have any choice. If I wanted to be successful and wanted to live some level of the arc of the American dream, um, what do you got to do? You got to start your own business. You got to uh, create a clientele. You got to manage and recruit very solid employees. You got to think creatively. You got to expect that the stuff that you're doing is not going to go well. You know, Mike Mike Tyson says, yeah, everybody has a plan and they get punched in the face. So I just want, want you to imagine my business in 2008. It was three years old, Skybridge Capital. We're going through the financial crisis where the U.S. markets are taking down 55%. And we're sitting there with a brand new business, three years old. How how did I retool it? How did I change it from what it originally was going to be? And so what I would say to people is you've got to be adaptive. You've got to be fluid. You've got to recognize that your life is a series of plans and reason why God put an eraser on the end of a pencil is you got to erase those plans and and, re, and go into redrafting constantly. Even today with the coronavirus and the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, our business is suffering. But, you know, guess what? Four billion other people have had this sort of transition and dislocation. And so the number of people that live in the northern hemisphere of planet Earth. And so everybody or a good 75 percent of those people have had some level of disruption in their lives. So I would I would tell people it's your attitude that's going to make or break your life and your career. And so, you know, attitude, not to sound cliche, but it always starts out with gratitude. You know, I wake up in the morning and say, okay, not the richest, probably not, obviously not the smartest, but I got a lot of good things going for me. How am I going to look at today in the most positive way possible so that I can lead my company, uh, inspire the people that are working with me, and also you know, reach into and magnetize my clients that want to be with Skybridge through its ups and downs, whatever those ups and downs may be. And so, but I I think the the big learning lesson is that, you know, it takes a long time to turn yourself into a success. You know, that, that cliche that an overnight success is 15 years. I think that's basically true. And so you you just got to stay at something um, and, and never quit. I find Mm -hmm. that the people that have lackluster careers or they have mediocre things, they meander and they try to day trade their careers. Not going well. Okay, let me get out of this thing and let me flip into something else. Oh, wait a minute. That's not going well. Okay, let me flip into something else. Well, the truth of the matter is things go up and down. I mean, they don't, they don't always go well. And it's the way you grind yourself forward when things are not going well that are ultimately going to define your career. And of course, look, you always get gum waivers in a crisis. I mean, I'm always, I, I never know who they're going to be, but you know, when you're in the okay corral and you're ready to draw guns and you got to shoot the other guy in the head, 
I always watch like during a crisis like this or the markets are in crisis, you always get gun ravers, you know, in a crisis, they start waving the gun, they can't hit the target, they get yeah. nervous, they get upset. But you know, I tell my, my friends and colleagues and my clients, hey, I started with absolutely nothing. If I got to go back to a white t-shirt in a one-room apartment with a rabbit-eared television and a six-pack of Schlitz watching the Mets, I am just fine. I have no problem doing that if that's where I have to go. And, and, and if you start thinking like that, you can be way more clear-headed about your decisions. I think that I like that analogy a lot um, because I think that you get to the point and you, it's funny because people do get to success at some point in their career and you hit on like a ton of good points and they're not going to just like rehash them all. But yeah, you spend enough time doing something, you will be successful. You see the people that hash something out for 10 years, they're generally doing pretty well. But I think the the concept that it's okay to fail even after a certain point of time committed, like if you have that personality that's like, you know, you're just going to nose to the grindstone and keep going like it doesn't matter what happens at the end of the day. And I think that there's a lot of fear and a lot of fear mongering that leads to people stressing for no good reason. And, and it's almost like having these knee jerk reactions and, and it, it hurts obviously everybody, but it hurts when it's like the leaders that are having these knee jerk reactions to their businesses and, you know, furloughing their, <laughs> their entire organization or whatnot. And it just causes, it causes more stress and anxiety. And I, I, I'm sure you, you notice it. Like when I walk to the grocery store, for example, now there's no, I'm in Toronto, Ontario, Canada is actually doing quite well in comparison to the U S right now. Um, like marginal amount of cases, but you walk to the grocery store and people are just aggressive and, and stressed out. And, and it's really like everyone just has to chill out a little bit because things will be better. But I like the way you put it. Like if you're okay, building yourself back up, you'll be fine. That's really good. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I think I think that's the point. You know, I, I, I don't know anybody, and I'm sure that you're interviewing a lot of people, and if someone's coming on, I would love to meet the person says, hey, you know, my life started out great. I was born under a rainbow. There was a part of gold there. My parents were completely functional. They did everything perfectly as I was raised. Then I got perfect grades in school. And I went on and started my career, and my career went up in a trajectory of 45 degrees uh, to greatness. And that's that's my life. You know, my, Michael Dell helped me uh, get my business started uh, at Skybridge. He was one of my earliest investors, and he said something to me that I will never forget, and it's worth repeating here. He said, "You know, Anthony, I had to make 8,000 decisions uh, when the business got started in 1984 through probably 1992." I'd make 8,000 decisions and I had to go, you know, 7,900 for 8,000. Like, yeah, of course, you can make some bad decisions, but I had to really make a lot of really good decisions for Dell Computer to become what it ultimately became uh, because, you know, there was Gateway back then, there was Compaq, there were other mail order computer companies, but Dell schmeisted all of them. And there were a lot of different things that went wrong for him. You know, he he had a uh, laptop uh, that was catching fire. His 1993 product cycle stock went down 70 percent, and the 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 company needed equity capital and a convertible bond to help it re-establish its product cycle. And so, you know, I helped him get that done in 1993. And of course, he went off to the races from there, but. But there's a guy, one of the richest people in the world, amazing guy, um, and it obviously built an 
an unbelievable global brand, but there's a guy who, you know, was on his knees and brought himself back from the darkness. And, 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 you know, Bill Gates, you know, look, he's a amazing guy, arguably one of the richest, at one point, the richest person in the world, but for his charitable giving. And uh, he had a hard time getting that business up and running. He, he failed in the operating system. He borrowed $30,000 from his dad. He bought Digital Research's operating system. It was called DRDOS. He made him and Paul Allen made some changes to it, and and uh, rebranded it MS DOS. And the rest is history. He goes on to become the uh, monopolist for the operating systems of most of the hardware in the world. So my my point is, is that you're you if you 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 can't look at your life and expect it to happen a certain way. You have to say, okay, I'm going to be successful no matter what. And I'm going to keep plugging. And no matter how many times I'm told no, uh, you know, just remember this: no spelled backwards is on. Somebody's telling <laughs> like me that. no; it's turning me on. I'm not. I'm yeah. not sitting there saying, "Oh wow, the guy said no. I feel rejected. Let me go put my head in cold water. Uh, let me put my sheet over my head. I'm not going to get up tomorrow morning. Uh, I just got rejected by somebody." I'm like, "What are you kidding me? I mean, not, let me make another 15 calls." Yeah. And, and and life is also a statistical outcome. And I don't want to use a baseball analogy, but I think it's appropriate, so I'm going to use it anyway. If you go three for 10 in baseball, you bat 300. And if you do that consistently, you can make it to the Hall of Fame. You only have to have 30% of the time you're at the play, you get a hit. But the great thing about business, you have unlimited at-bats. So in an example, like if you're a great salesperson and you're going one for 10, and I suck as a salesperson, and I'm going five for 5,000. I'm five times better than you. The point being is that like, you know, that persistence, that doggedness, that intensity is going to power you through, even if you're not the most talented person, you know, but that person going one for 10 in sales, that's amazing. I'm five for 5,000, you know, the, the averages suck, but I'm five times better than the guy that's not trying. Does that make sense? It makes a ton of sense. Um, now the attitude, like your, your attitude is, is hundred percent, like we're aligned in, in what it takes to be successful. Now I'm curious. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure I know the answer to this, but you had the same attitude going into, uh, your career as, as the white house communications director. What, mm -hmm. what did you discover working in that administration? Because you mentioned like it, it wasn't, you didn't, you couldn't prepare yourself for it. It wasn't like what you knew before. So what did you sort of unearth? And well, yeah, it was, uh, I was I was completely out of my element. So I didn't have a frankly, I didn't. Uh, there was an expression in Washington, you know, uh, uh, Harry Truman said, if you want a friend in Washington, buy a dog, because you don't have any friends in Washington. You know, in business, it's totally different. You do have friends, but in Washington, it's all about that individual's interest, and it's all about what are they going to do to uh, achieve that interest and if they have to stab you in the eyeball while they're smiling at you, they're going to do that, you know, and that's, that's Washington. And so for me, I, the president asked me to be his OPL director. And so that was a really good job for me. That's the office of public liaison. I would have been his chief networking officer. And so I talked it over with my wife. She didn't want me to take it. I mean, she probably hates Trump almost as much as Melania hates him. I mean, I don't think she hates him <laughs> as much as Melania, but it's like right at the top there, you know? And so she didn't want me to go anywhere near the guy. And I said, no, he's the president of the United States and uh, I'm a Republican. He's asking me to do this. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go and do it. 
And then, you know, Ryan's previous and Steve Bannon, for whatever reason, they did not want me in that job. And so they started, rather than just saying, you know, Ryan's previous could have just said to me, hey, man, I hate your guts. I don't want you in that job. I'm the White House chief of staff. I would have said, okay, that's cool. I'm not even going to come to Washington. I'll just stay at Skybridge. But they did all this obfuscation. And then they did a oppo drop on me. What's an oppo drop? They they dropped a story in the press insinuating that when I put my company up for sale, I was selling it to China because I was going to become this de facto like secret agent for China and become their lobbyist inside the administration, which is like total nonsense, right? So it that sounds a little me. crazy because yeah, but I mean that's what they do in Washington. So so then I, I got on the phone with the president. And I said, hey. These two guys suck. I'm just letting you know they're very bad guys. At some point, you're going to want to get rid of them. I got the fact that they've knocked me out of this job. No problem. But let me just say this. If you are getting you know, tired of them, which I predict you will, give me a call. I'll take care of it for you. And so it all happened very quickly. He called me. Next thing you know, I got named as the communications director. And I said to the president, that's not the best job for me. You know, The other job would be better. He said, well, that job is open. It's available. It's in the West Wing. Come work here. And uh, there was a degree of impetuosity there. I would say this to your listeners. Um, Don't let your pride and your ego get into your decision making. Don't let it get in the way of your decision making. And so what happened to me is previous and Bannon blocked the job. I put my ego in it. The president called me to go take those two guys out. And so I went in there with a vengeance and I made a lot of mistakes while I was there and I didn't build enough of a coalition and I didn't, I I was too trusting. And so I got on the phone with a reporter. I made a joke about Ryan's previous and Steve Bannon. He recorded it. He ran to CNN with it. I thought it was off the record. He said it wasn't okay, big deal. And so that embarrassed the president and then John Kelly fired me. And so, so, uh, but, you know, the good news is I got Previs and Bannon out of there. So I think that was like a great service to America, especially with Bannon. I mean, you never met a more. You know. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it. Each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works. One data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. 
Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn Jobs, and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, 
drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Wacko, I mean, with the whole nationalism and the white national ethnocentrism and yeah, all a lot of crazy that, like, nonsense that he... I'm no, Canadian, I mean, so thank, it comes over here. I, hear, I don't hear it as much as you yeah, do, and, I mean, and but I still hear it, yeah. I mean, thank God. I mean, I, mean, I yeah. think if, if, I, if I've made any contribution to the American society or the Western canon of liberalism in my short stay in the White House... When my suicide vest was going off, it knocked Steve Bannon into Pennsylvania Avenue. So I think that was a, a, you know, an accomplishment for mankind, but or humankind. But, but the point being, I had my ego in there. I had my pride in there. I made a foolish mistake of trusting somebody. They used that against me. I got summarily fired. And so for me, I was like, okay, no problem. That's a hundred percent my fault. I'm fully accountable for it. John Kelly and I have actually become close friends thereafter. Um, and I tried to stay loyal to the president, but when he continues on the path of what he was doing, it was like impossible to stay loyal. If you have a rational point of view about life mm-hmm. and you're listening to the nonsense and you're listening, watching the Twitter screeds and you're listening to all the lies and you're listening to the confusion and the mismanagement of the executive branch. And, you know, Michael Lewis really wrote about it in his book. He wrote a very, very interesting book about the, uh, I guess it was called the third or fifth risk, maybe it was called the fifth risk. And and what he wrote about was, man, you know, Trump is coming in totally ill-prepared to take on the executive branch. He also doesn't have the right management skills. He's going to blow up the executive branch. And so if there's ever a crisis, he's going to immobilize that part of the government. They're not going to be able to effectively handle a crisis. Yeah, and it's so, a, you know, I just we looked got, it up we, at the risk. I'm just looking. Yeah, at so it we we yeah. yeah, I read the I read the book two two and a half years ago, and so that book is very telling of what's going on right now. I mean, we we probably could have avoided a lot of the economic damage and a lot of the deaths if they had acted more quickly. But you know, they're afraid of him. Um, he lights up these people with these tweet storms. I mean, he did it to me. Yeah. I mean, you've never felt more alive than when the president of the United States is calling you a unstable nut job on Twitter. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, so it's totally fine. I mean, I thought it was fucking funny. I, I went, of course, I went after him because I'm a New Yorker and I'm not going to let a guy do that to me. You know, no, and of course then he not. Went after, <laughs> then you wouldn't right, be a New Yorker. And then, 
<laughs> yeah, of course. And then he went after my wife, which shows you what a that's low life cool. the guy is, right? Yeah, that's not and good. so that's you know, you're going after my wife and your presidential Twitter feed, okay. What do yeah. you think I'm gonna do? You think do I look like Ted Cruz to anybody? I mean, what are you crazy? So I'll I'll keep punching until he gets knocked through the ropes, but he's doing a good job on himself. I mean, he's he's a very self destructive guy and uh I think he's heavily damaged himself, even though he has reasonably good approval ratings related to the crisis and the aftermath of this thing. I think people are really going to come to understand how much damage he did to the economy and how how difficult he has been as a leader. And I think there will be in this next election cycle a return to some level of normalcy. Whatever you think of Joe Biden, pluses or minuses of him, uh, he'll probably surround himself with some normal operating people and not this sort of uh, kleptocracy and this sort of nepotism and so, so yeah that's my question like why place, can't you know I, I i i totally understand but why couldn't he just like lead by advisory committee why was that because everybody knows that trump is not an expert in in everything hmm. that you know he's trying to manage and lead and and guide so he's, why why not he's just insecure manage? no he's he's wildly insecure and somebody told me that a long time ago you know like one of my buddies is friends with him he invited his mother to Mar-a-Lago. Trump pulled up with two Ferraris. And this like 80-year-old Italian grandmother was like, Donald, why are you so insecure? <laughs> I laughed. I thought that was like funny. And I told my buddy, I said, how could he be insecure? He's got tons of money, unbelievable real estate, and he's a very high like profile. A, yeah. how, how is a guy like that insecure? But then when you meet him, like, okay, wow, this guy is maniacally insecure. That's why... He's trying to compensate for it with all the blustering and like, I'm smarter than my generals. I'm a very stable genius. I know more than anybody here. You know, I know a lot about this pandemic. My uncle was a genius. And so therefore I'm a genius. I mean, you know, I mean, Stormy Daniels, basically, I was at the uh, Bill Maher show. She basically told me it was like the, the size of a shiitake mushroom. I almost threw up in my mouth when she told me that. I was like, <laughs> disgusting. And then you know, I haven't been to a Chinese, I haven't been to a Japanese restaurant in two years since Stormy told me that. But then right then and there, you're like, okay, I get where this guy's coming from. He is maniacally insecure. It could be issues related to his dad, his physicality. And so this is why he acts the way he does. And that's why you can't work with Trump and expect him to treat you well. And you can't expect him to take your advice. And if you're Listeners want to hear, you know, read an amazing book. It's very accurate. There was a book written called The Very Stable Genius, and uh, Phil Rucker wrote it. Uh, it was a woman that wrote it alongside of him. I just know Phil better than her, but mm -hmm. it was a very accurate book. And it just talked about how he couldn't take any advice from any expert. He felt insecure in their presence. And uh, if they told him something, he would almost do the opposite of it to prove or try to prove that he knew better than they did. And that, that is, so, that, so that, that's, that's, dangerous. that's how that's it goes. That's how it rolls with Trump. You know what? Yeah. I said, that's a dangerous personality when you're, uh, when you're charged with the, uh, with the country. That's yeah. But I mean, but here's dangerous. the thing. Okay. Remember, remember, remember this, he's dangerous, but he's got willing acolytes. Okay. I went to go work for him because I'm a naive, you know, son of a construction worker. And I've lived a very large part of the American dream. And I'm, and I'm like, fighting with my wife. I mean, my wife and I filed for divorce while I was working for him. We subsequently reconciled, but it was like, yeah, I was God. doing it because I thought, oh, I, oh my God, it's the American dream. I'm getting a chance to help people, public policy. 
all this stupid idealism. And uh, I got caught in that crossfire. And, you know, listen, it was humiliating. It was humbling. I got a very big comeuppance. But the flip side of it was it gave me a platform. You know, it it made me uh, a little bit more well-known. It increased my public profile. It's made me somewhat polarizing because my 27-year-old son who's at Stanford Business School, he's like, hey, Pop, you're killing me because the the Republicans hate you because you are blasting Trump and the Democrats are never going to accept you because you were with Trump. Yeah. And now you've put me in political nowhere's land. And I'm like, well, AJ, my son's name, I'm like, AJ, maybe I'm getting closer to the truth. Point being, I don't actually care. I mean, you get old enough in your life, you know, this is a very important lesson and it's a very hard lesson to learn. And it, even at my age, it is hard to practice. But when you can get over the hump of not caring what other people think of you, and what other people think of you is none of your business. When you can get to that point in your life, it is an amazing level of freedom. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I put stuff up on Twitter, but I don't even look at the reply. I take care less. I shut the notices off on my phone. My yeah. attitude is some of it's robotic and nasty, and some of it is uh, keyboard warriors that are bullies, and who cares? You know, it's just when the president's coming after me, then I got to go back at him. I got to smack him up a little bit because. Why wouldn't you do that, right? I don't well, think a lot know, of people I, have to deal with that problem, but yeah, that's yeah. But I know what a baby. I know what a big baby is. You know, at the end of the day, he's like a big time coward. You know, just take a look at one of those clips when, like, you thought somebody was rushing the stage. How he was like running off the stage. You know, I, I saw mean, that this clip. Guy, yeah. I mean, this guy's never been in a bar. I mean, Anderson Cooper. One, I was like, wow, this is like a you're having a bar fight with the president. I'm like, I'm having a bar fight. This guy's never been in a fight in his life, Anderson. You know, he's never he's never been in a bar fight. By the way, it's not a bar fight. I've dragged the guy out into the street. You know, you know what I mean? It's not a bar <laughs> fight. But but the point the point is is that like, you know, this is the nonsense that we're living with now because myself included, and I'm responsible for this, as is everybody that voted for him. And I went to go work for him. You know, we bought into something that really wasn't there, but at least I've been able to tell the truth, and at least I've been able to say, Hey, this is uh this sucks, you know, and, uh, and, uh, you know, think of it this way. If you were hiring this guy as a CEO for your company and you were on the publicly traded board of that company, you'd be like, we got to get rid of this guy. Guy's batshit. You know, he's crazy. We got to get rid of him. I think you you always see that though. You see those swings back and forth. You see, you see, you see right, mm -hmm. like right wing, left wing leaders, and they go too Mm -hmm. far. They, they go too deep into, into what they want to represent. And then you see the opposite end and the next vote or the next, you know what I mean? Like that's, you see that a lot. Yeah, I think, you know, so I people mean, don't listen, make I mean, the, the smartest voting decisions either, both he, ways. He, he, he's going to throw $10 trillion at this current pandemic problem. That may help him come election time. But you look at the data, data is overwhelmingly against him. I mean, his numbers are incredibly soft. Many of the Republicans are rejecting what he's doing now. And uh, a couple Tuesdays ago, Super Tuesday 3, you had 500,000 additional Democratic voters in the state of Michigan uh, for Joe Biden. And, and, you know, if you're on the president's campaign, you have to be alarmed by that. You can't be looking at that saying, oh, that's that's a good sign. Very far from it. You know, yeah, well, I think so, so we'll, think we'll see what uh, happens. It's a long way yeah. away. Joe's lost a step. Trump acts crazy. You know, I don't know. Is this the best that America has to offer? I don't know. But we're here now and we'll we'll see what happens. But, you know, for me, it was a learning lesson of a lifetime. 
And if I could share anything with your listeners on your podcast, don't put your ego into your decision making. You know, take your ego and your pride out of it. And when the handwriting was on the wall that those guys didn't want me to work in the White House, I should have listened to my wife and stayed away from it. And, you know, and that's ultimately the facts. Now, it happened and it went in a certain direction, and I have absolutely no regrets. It was the learning lesson of a lifetime. But I, I, I can tell you when I'm making the decisions, whether it's in my investment decisions, my personal decisions, my professional decisions, when I'm taking my pride out of it and my ego out of it, I'm doing a lot better. Good. No, that's uh, that's good advice. Um, what are you? So, what are you into? Uh, obviously, Skybridge, but you you wrote the book Trump, blue collar president. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. you're still involved in in uh, investments and whatnot through your through your uh, firm. Yep. So, what else? Uh, what else is uh, next for you, or what are you working on on now? Post. Uh, well, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm working on my firm. You know, I wrote the the book. The book sold very well, thank God, and it was a very fair book. Uh, it had positives and negatives of the president, positive and negative of me. He didn't like the book because, you know, he needs the, those sorts of books to be 125% in favor of him. But I mean, that's fine. But I mean, it was a very objective book about what happened, the pluses and minuses of what happened. And, you know, I went after myself in that book as much as I went after uh, other things that I saw. So, so, you know, if you, if you have a moment and it's a fast read, but, yeah. uh, and I'm happy to send you a copy if you have an interest, but the, uh, you know, for me right now, I've got my asset management company. I'm going to restage my conference business once we can get out of our homes. And, uh, you know, I see tremendous opportunity in this current crisis. I think we're going to be, um, roaring. I think the economy is going to roar after this is over. You can't, hit the economy with $10 trillion of stimulus and not expect it to have a huge kick up after this thing. So I'm positioning the firm to take advantage of that and uh, we'll see what happens. You know, I'm good friends with Chris and Andrew Cuomo. I sort of uh, grew up with those guys. I do Chris's show twice a month for CNN. And, uh, you know, we sort of, you know, the the, the information I'm getting will, will sort of be open fully open sort of mid-June here in New York. And uh, I think the summer is going to be uh, a surprising upside summer for people. I think there's a sense of uh, appreciation for what they had prior mm-hmm. to going into quarantine. And just like after the two, the, the 100-year-old or the 102-year-old 1918 pandemic, people are, I think are going to come out of their houses exploding with a lot of consumption. Um, I, I think that, uh, I, I, well, I hope that obviously there's a huge upswing after this is all, all said and done and you're the, you're the finance guy. So you, you have the insight into that. Um, but I would love to, I'd love to understand what do you think in terms of, uh, I guess the way we do business, you think there's anything that's going to change coming out of this and trends that have sort of been permanently changed industries, that kind of thing, just your, your insight as to what you see. Well, I mean, you know, look, people are saying commercial real estate is going to change because people are working at home. They don't probably need as much space as they originally thought. And retail's changing where more habits are being developed of home delivery and, and telemedicine may change some of the ways people practice medicine. But I think by and large, uh, we're going to more or less go back to a lot of the things that we we did before, you know, I, I like in particular gaming stocks a lot because 
unless you think that human nature's changed, and we've got 5,500 years of human nature that dictates that it hasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll take you back to the 2008 crisis. They were down 90%. They're down 80% right now. Uh, those casinos are c- closed. The strip is closed. But uh, I think people are going to be back, you know, and I yeah. and I think that they're going to be um, I think they're going to be a I think it's going to be a uh, explosion to the upside. And so we own a lot of the high yield debt in gaming, whether it's Caesars or MGM. And, uh, you know, we're taking a contrarian play to where these things are trading at right now. And and the one thing um that I wanted to, I want to, I want to close up because I, I just want to respect uh, your time, but, um, and I want to also just ask a couple sort of like life lesson insight questions that I really love drawing out of people. Was there anything that, you know, we didn't discuss that you've sort of like taken on over your career that you wanted to bring up as important or topical to you? Cause if not, then I wanted to ask them closing. Well, I, I guess I would just say one thing. I would say that um, we try to solve these problems, these economic problems, by taking the easy way out. And so our last economic crisis, we said, okay, we're just gonna flood the marketplace with monetary stimulus. We're not gonna have a jobs program, an infrastructure plan, a plan to right-size our educational system. We're not gonna do any of those things. And so what ends up happening is the interest rates go down, the liquidity enters the markets, the markets go up, and the people that own the assets get way richer. Yeah. And the people that don't own the assets, they get frustrated and they get angry. And so in a very weird way, the monetary policies implemented after 2008 created the rise of nationalism and the rise of populism because it really did widen the wealth gap or the you know the divide between rich and poor. And I'm just hoping and praying that we don't do that again here. It seems like there's enough going on in terms of a Main Street stimulus and a Wall Street stimulus where we won't do that. But I really hope we don't do that because we have to figure out a way to solve for that and dial down the anger and get more focused on what works, You know, less focused on left and right wing extremism, less focused on left and right, and more focused on right or wrong as it relates to policy implementation. So anyway, I just wanted to bring that up because I think it's very important that we start having smart people talk about it that way as opposed to the nonsense we see on cable cable news you see like you know not to go too because that's a huge topic but do you see do you see any any momentum like moving towards smarter discussions and less you know like dog like 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 he's like far right far left leaning uh cable tv uh election debates and whatnot that really are not conducive to anybody's actual life yeah, no, not with Trump. You're never going to get there with Trump, but hopefully you can break the fever of Trump and his demagoguery, and then you can probably get back to people are going to probably be exhausted from all that nonsense. Maybe you can get back to something that's more sensical and more, uh, you know, you know about about good policy. You know, and and again, if you want there to be fairness in the society, and I'm a capitalist, as most people are that live in the West. You know, you you know, you, you got to have some fairness, though. You have to create a platform of equal opportunity. And so the government should help trying to create that platform. So if you grow up like I did, my parents weren't educated, but I got very lucky. We lived in a town that had a really good public school system. You know, if I grew up in an area where the, the public school system wasn't any good, 
I, maybe I wouldn't have created that arc of intellectual education and that spark of intellectual curiosity that led me to Tufts and Harvard. And so I often say to them, geez, you know, you're, you're, you, you know, a lot of the stuff that happens to you in life is providential. You don't pick your parents, location of your birth, you don't pick your brain chemistry. But, you know, we should really try to figure out if we've got people that can excel, even if they're not born in affluent areas or they're not born to, you know, certain types of parents, can we help them create a platform of opportunity and aspirational opportunity? And, and, and I think we got to work on that now. I think, I think that's, that's the big challenge for the next 20 years. I think that's also, um, I think that's the, the, the reincarnation of the American dream. So the original mm-hmm. American dream is to Amen. succeed, but I think the reincarnation is to give people the opportunity to succeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that a lot. I like I, that a lot. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Amen. Um, well, I appreciate okay. all the time you yeah. spent with me. Thank you very much. It's yeah. a, you know, and let me know when this goes up. We'll put it up on my social media. You know. No, I appreciate it a lot. I want to ask. Can I ask you one one last question that I ask everybody? If that's if that's all right. Well, actually, sorry, it's a two part yeah. question. Please. The first yeah. one, the first one is one lesson that you would tell your 20 year old self? That's the first part. Second part is where do people find you if they want to get in touch or consume your content? Yeah, yeah, at, you know, at Scaramucci on Twitter um, is the best place to find me. And uh, I would say that uh, my 20 year old self, and you gotta really think about this. And if you're younger than me, you gotta really think about this. And if I've left any impact on you listening to this, you got to do what I'm about to say. And that is live with less fear, live with less anxiety. And you should idealize what you want to do in your life and you should go for it. And I wish my 20 year old self, I had that level of certainty that no matter what happened, I was going to figure it out, right? Like an entrepreneur is somebody that uh, jumps off a cliff and builds the airplane as they're descending down the cliff. And you can do it. You can figure it out. And But I had fears and anxieties and financial anxieties as a kid, and it probably limited my upside unnecessarily. And so that would be my message to people. Beautiful. Go for it and, and live your life. Who cares? You know, I mean, you're going to be dead anyway, right? So who cares? I mean, Mel Brooks has the best line about life ever. Relax. None of us are getting out of here alive. So just go for it. And I think that when you do, your adrenaline is there and you're meeting the arc of your aspiration. And even if it doesn't work out perfectly, you'll be so proud of yourself that you gave yourself the gusto and you believed in yourself enough to give it the try. Beautiful. I love it. Thank you so much. All right, man. Well, God bless. Okay. See you soon. Cheers. Okay, all the best. Thanks again for joining me on the Success Story Podcast. Uh, Thanks again, Anthony. I really appreciate the chat. If you haven't already, please uh, subscribe, download, share with your friends, families, peers, or coworkers. Um, You can catch this podcast. You can stream it. You can download it wherever you can download or stream podcasts. And you can always catch it on YouTube as well. If you haven't left us a rating, that would be wildly appreciated. Any rating is fine as as long as it contains five stars. Um, as always have a great week, have a productive week and we'll speak again soon. Bye now.
I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it. Each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash Clary. That's netsuite.com slash Clary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com 
com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story too. So there's five brothers, they filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935 and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real, there are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professional to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. 